1: Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sergeant, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. Goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards. Over twelve hundred games. I want again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five, High Five
0: Casino, Casino. Win at High Five Casino.
1: High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning.
1: Terms and conditions apply.
3: You ready to check your feelings at the
1: door?
4: Check it out. Check it out.
1: This is Am I Reister or Am I Wrong?
0: We're bringing you facts and only the truth now.
1: Am I Reister
3: or Am I Wrong?
0: Am I Reister or Am I Wrong? You guys, it is Wednesday. So last week was the beginning of our new series that we're going to be doing on Wednesday. So we're going to have interviews with dope people doing dope stuff and you guys can always weigh in as usual 818-293-7547 818-293-7547 or shoot us an email i'm mad i-m-m-a-d at unafraidshow.com you guys enjoy the interview she's dope let's get it going And now we're joined on the Rice to a Wrong podcast by Rachel Luba. She is gracing our presence today. Um, She is a NFL, um, I'm sorry.
4: One day. Right.
0: And now we're joined on Rice to a Wrong by Rachel Luba, MLB agent, Renaissance woman. She also In addition to that, she's the first woman to ever negotiate a $100 million contract and also the first to represent a Cy Young winner. She's the host of the Corked Up podcast with Jessica Kleinschmidt, and she also does her YouTube channel where she explains the arbitration process with other agents and all that kind of stuff. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on the show.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Right. So you are a are, are, are you a female agent or are you a agent?
4: I am an agent. I am a female, but I am an agent.
0: So how, how does that you know, you are the first to represent a Cy Young winner in Trevor Bauer. You are the first to negotiate a hundred million dollar contract as a, as a female agent. So how do I get, guess? Let's take it back. Like, how did you become an agent? In because this is such a male dominated industry.
4: Well, first, I just want to point out that while I'm the first female in all these things, I'm also just the first agent like male or female to negotiate a single season of 40 plus million dollars. (laughs) So there there is that, you don't have to qualify with female on that one. Um, But I guess it kind of started, um, you know, I was a gymnast um, since the age of two, went to UCLA, was a gymnast at UCLA and uh you know knew i wanted to work in sports and i wasn't exactly sure at first what i wanted to do and then you know once when i got to ucla i started you know honing it in a bit and realized i was interested in helping the individual athlete that's what i was most passionate about probably because i was always an individual sport athlete um so you know started thinking of what are some things that i could do on that side of of uh the sports industry and you know athlete representation kind of stuck out to me so i started thinking about that and i you know happen to be good friends with a lot of the ucla baseball players while i was at ucla and you know they tell you you should if you think you know what you want to do like talk to people in that industry and get their take on it and just kind of pick their brains. So naturally I did that. Uh, one of the first agents I happened to talk to was a baseball agent. And the first, the conversation that we had, I went to his office, he, um, you know, was sitting at his desk and I sat down and he was like, look, from what I can tell, like, seems like, you know what you want to do. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And he just like, Kicked his feet up on his desk and leaned back. He's like, "You're a girl," and just stared at me. And I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. "Yeah, I know." Um, and we had an awkward moment, and then he was like, "What I'm saying is, you're not really welcome in the industry." I was, and then at that point, I think I was annoyed. And he was like, "Look, I'm not saying you can't do it. It's just the reality. Like, it's a boys' club." And I, you know, kind of figured, okay, this is pointless. Um, I was like, is that it? And he was like, well, I mean, I guess if you want any chance, any sort of credibility, like at the very least, you're going to have to get a law degree. So I walked out of there and I was texting my parents. I was like, I'm going to go to law school. And that's how I made my decision. And I oftentimes credit him for being the one to really push me towards baseball because I'm, like knowing my personality, I'm fairly confident that if he would, you know, talk to me that first time and was like, you know, it's a great industry. These are different avenues people take to get into it. You know, yada, yada. I would have walked out of there and been like, cool. Like now I'm going to go, you know, try to talk to an NFL agent or an NBA agent. But, um, you know, him telling me off the bat that you're not welcome in the industry was exactly what made me want to, going into that specific industry.
3: So, George George asked you your origin story uh, in the agency world, but I'm very curious about what your origin story or or maybe like what age you were at uh, when you first encountered social media because of all of the people that we've had on this show and that we've encountered you, you're probably doing it the best like that, that if, if if i was to describe your social media usage it would be five tool player you're all over uh youtube um twitter and and i mean it's just every time there's a viral moment um in base Baseball, like with the D-backs the other day, I see you in the in, in the replies applauding them for doing a good job. I just I see your name attached to all of these things. I have a, f- uh, a friend of mine from Arizona, uh, Molly McManamy, who just uh, had a feature uh, story written about her in the Arizona Republic. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Molly, like in her hometown paper, just got written about. And you're the first name that I see in, in the replies congratulating her. I mean, you are all over the place. How did you get to the point where you were able to harness the power of social media and, and, and have it? really, I think, enhance your success in this industry.
4: Yeah, I I think you're spot on on the, you know, with that, it has really enhanced my ability to have success in this industry. And that's, it it was a scary thing to buy into because I think social media in a lot of ways is a tricky thing to navigate. And there's, you know, a lot of uncertainty with it because it's dangerous. It can be your downfall too. Um, I think... To be honest with you, uh, the person who really encouraged me to use social media and all of these different platforms, even the ones that I'm super uncomfortable with, which, by the way, are like Twitter, I've always hated Twitter. I never had it. I didn't have a Twitter. My Twitter account um, in twenty. 20- when I launched my agency in 2019 was the first time I actually like logged in, I changed my handle and I was like, all right, fine. Like I will use this. Um, I had it for when I interned at a baseball agency in law school, they made us follow everyone, all the clients on their roster, but I other than that never used it. Um, So it wasn't until 2019. I used that. I hate YouTube. I don't really watch YouTube. uh, So I don't really get the, value of it. But, um, you know, I'm using that. But it was my client, Trevor Bauer, who really got me to buy into all of these, um, you know, different platforms. And, you know, we've had, I think we have a very interesting kind of dynamic with between the two of us with social media, because I've watched him, I've known him for, you know, 11 years or so now. I've watched him from the beginning with his use of social media. And, how poorly he used social media and I was always the one to just be like you know what are you doing like we cannot use social media this way like this is it's not even like you're just not helping yourself but you're hurting yourself too and so I've always been you know kind of there with him trying to get him to better understand how to use it to his benefit and he's you know Equally, though, helped me in getting me to use all these different platforms and to, you know, see all these different platforms as different tools, you know, for and use them for different purposes, you know, what my Instagram is for, which was always the one I was most comfortable with, um, just from the beginning, it's the one I liked the most. Um, You know, using that for now, the purpose of it is really to drive home this message that's really important to me about, you know, you can be feminine, you can be anything you want and still be a professional, Um, you know, you don't need to conform to some, you know, made up mold of whatever men expect of you or I don't know, whatever it is. Um, So that's kind of like the purpose of Instagram, whereas the purpose of, you know, Twitter is to kind of get my voice out there on big, you know, baseball related issues or sports related issues. The GMs all read what I tweet, you know, so that I know there's value there, um, you know, using it in that way. YouTube is to kind of, you know get in, be someone who educates people on different things within the industry so that I can, you know, form some sort of, or establish some sort of reputation as someone who does really understand, you know, various topics in the industry and is, you know, quote, unquote, an expert in, you know, this side of the baseball industry. So I've learned over the years how to use social media, um, but it's not necessarily something that I've always been comfortable with.
0: Yeah, see, I like the fact that you have a plan. You, for-
3: I, I, George, I wanna jump in real quick, George. I wanna jump in real quick, George, because I, I just do, I wanna point out something that you did uh, uh like a month and a half back that was just I mean, it was next level. Actually like came up with a or you took somebody's suggestion as far as people who are fans of you, uh the, and and gave them the name the Lubinati, and then you have your own account. And you use that to um, promote and showcase people who are out and about wearing um, the merch that you've popularized from all of your other platforms. Like You have this feedback loop of everything going to benefit the brand and stay on message and, and and you talk about a long time with Trevor Bauer of trying to to get him to um, to exercise that discipline in his social media usage. Is that just you taking all of the advice you've been giving for the last 11 years and applying it to your own practice?
4: Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's it's funny because now sometimes i also hear him giving me the same advice that i've given him and i'm like oh like we've come full circle here um but yeah i mean i think there's it's really easy to do from an outsider's perspective i think um like i've always probably had a bigger vision for stuff with bauer um than for myself but then I, you know, I have really made an effort and he's tried to help me in, you know, doing kind of the same thing that he's done. And, you know, he's, he does a really good job with building his brand and all the different social media um, platforms that he uses. Now he's got like a full team working for him, you know, with doing all his social media, which is very helpful. Um, I I don't have that I kind of try to handle most of it myself. Um, But yeah, I love, I thought the Lubinati um, like name was so cool and smart and I just, I loved it. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna run with it. And what better way, you know, to everyone who's wearing, you know, Luba sports stuff. And I was always surprised when people went out in the beginning and were buying Luba sports merch. I was like, why would you buy, I'm just a, you know it's an agency and I'm just a person but Bauer was the one who kind of talked to me about it. He was like, look, but you've created this, you know, this brand, like there's a message behind kind of who you are and your personality and people like, they like representing that and they like promoting it. And it took me a while to really buy into that too, because I felt like I'm just, I'm just like, you know, them, I don't know why you would. And this is just like my company. Um, but, but they love it. And so, you know, it's free advertising, right? I, They all rock their stuff and I feature and it's a way to interact and and I'm gonna have some more cool like Lubinati merch and like necklaces that I'm gonna come out with. See
0: the, the, the cool part is is that I don't think that you intended which is which is super dope that you didn't intend for you becoming an agent to actually be so meaningful to so many other people. Like I would have like I want a, a Luba Sports shirt because I like you, I like what you represent. And I think that that's why people want the the merch because you represent to in, in my eyes, a powerful, strong person. you're young in doing it and and also the fact that you're willing to be yourself. You know what I mean? Like that, like on your on your Instagram and all that. So like so so my question to you is, is how did you get into the industry in terms of getting your first client? Because that can be difficult. I mean, whether you're a man agent, woman agent, anybody getting that first client is hard and especially a big name client. So how are you able to, you know, to go from zero to uh, suddenly being thrust into that, not, not just the big leagues, but the big league of the big leagues?
4: Um, people, I think, will, like, oftentimes think of me as an overnight success or something. Um, couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I've spent the last 11, 10, 11 years working towards this. You know, I told you when I sat down with that agent, that was my freshman year at UCLA. My UCLA bio, you know, as a student athlete, what talked about my career goal was like being a sports agent. So this was something that it, I mean, I've been working at. And obviously I've known Trevor for, you know, a long time. We were both student athletes together at UCLA and we kept in touch. And I think, you know, he happened to kind of be the perfect fit for my first client because one, he's someone who, you know, he isn't built uh, you know, just kind of this freak natural athlete. Like I make fun of him all the time about, about how I am way more athletic than he is. And, <laughs> and he knows that he'll never deny it. Uh, he's not, he'll tell you like, he's probably one of the worst athletes in MLB, but he, you know, growing up, he loved baseball and he's got, you know, his dad is a chemical engineer by trade. Trevor in college was a mechanical engineer major. He's got this engineering background and he used, you know, physics and math to basically find ways to create pitches and create a weapon basically that could thrive at, you know, the MLB level. Um, So he doesn't view anything as you have to be one type of person um, in order to succeed or thrive in, in anything. So I think me wanting to be an agent, he never uh, and be a baseball agent, he never questioned it. He was never like, well, you're a girl. Like, I don't know if you could do that. You never played. So that's going to be tricky. He was like, yeah, if you do the right things, and you work hard enough. There, you have a chance, like there is a chance for you. So he saw, I think the natural progression over the years, all the work I put in, the different opportunities I was able to create for myself, you know, starting or uh, becoming an attorney at the MLBPA and all the salary arbitration cases that I was, I was able to take to hearing. And, you know, when I decided I want to start my own agency and I had this different idea for how I wanted to really operate the agency, um you know I talked with him about it a lot um over probably the course of like a year and a half two years and you know he's all he's all about exploiting inefficiencies in the industry and in different industries different um avenues or aspects of a certain industry and so he you know bought into this idea that yeah this is the athlete representation in baseball or in basically every sport is not that great that it's everyone does it one way there's one option and that's it and it's not necessarily the best and so I kind of convinced him that this is better way and it was a slow burn because it's not like he didn't like his agent um he very much liked his agent and his agent uh, you know a great job for him but it was that getting him to see that it, it's not the agent specifically it's the industry it's how they go about athlete representation and the model that's used and this is a better way and he ended up buying in and then it was the hardest part was uh convincing his dad and his parents um i had known them but i mean his dad was not thrilled about trevor risking you know his career and entrusting someone who technically has no real you know proven track record with something so you know big like yeah. Having them negotiate this contract, so that was a, that was a tough sell.
0: Well, I mean, uh, I, for for me, when I looked at it and I saw how you did with those arbitration cases in 2017, that you won a record tw- uh, 12 arbit- arbitration cases. So that I think it probably you know was able to give Trevor a little bit of comfort and say, hold up, hold up. Nah, she out there getting, getting cast a money. So, uh, she'll do the same thing for, for me, but you talked about a different model of athlete representation. What does Luba sports and Rachel Luba do differently than your traditional MLB agent or r- person who represents athletes, uh,
4: So I operate much more like a law firm. Um, I charge for the service provided. I didn't reinvent the wheel with that at all by any means. Um, Most people are pretty familiar with the idea that they, you know, in different industries in the world, they pay for a service. Um, However, in athlete representation, the agent is profiting off of a commission based on the value that the athlete himself or herself, creates on the field. And it's kind of silly. The other thing with baseball specifically, I know it's a little different sometimes in, in other sports, but you know, you lock an agent locks in that 10 year contract for you. He, he could get fired the very next day. He has locked in the commission though for the entire 10 years. So he doesn't have to do a day of work after that contract and he's paid. And And he's paid the same type of work that he does for that huge contract, and that player that signed that got that huge contract, it might be the same type of work that he does for the player who's making, you know, a million dollars for one year. And, you know, he's making vastly different, you know, amounts. And so it also creates a scenario where simply just because of the value of the player himself, the agent has different a different level of incentive to do certain work for certain players versus others. So again, it just kind of came back to, I wanted to charge for the value of my service that I'm providing. And so when I do work for the player, the player pays for it. And when I don't do work for the player, like the player's not just paying me because of value he's creating himself. Um, And so it aligns incentives better. It allows me to, you know i'm incentivized to do work for the player that's how i make money and you know i think it it also allows players to really choose what's important to them because there are plenty of players that they are, they are fine talking to their agent three times a year for you know maybe 10 15 minutes and that's all they need they don't need much they don't want to do much but why are they paying the same you know the same kind of percentage as the player like Trevor Bauer, who is so high maintenance and wants so much done for him. You know, I, I think a lot of athletes, too, they're fine paying for something as long as they feel like they're actually getting value in return. You and sound like a, a disruptor.
0: Lot, you sound like somebody who, who, who other yeah, agents uh, want to throw things at.
4: Yeah, they don't like it too much. Um, I've already... There's already been several agencies over the last couple years. Um, Once I negotiated the first Trevor's first uh, contract, which was his final salary arbitration year before free agency, I already I had like several offers of agents asking if they could like buy me out or, you know, whatever. So um, as as much as that was kind of nice and I was like, oh, it's enticing in the beginning. Um, it was kind of a reminder of like, okay, no, you're doing something right, right if that's the wrong thing.
0: Yep.
3: What's what's interesting to me is how how you seem to have a much more firm understanding. Um, of social currency beyond just um, what your play on the field dictates. Because, you know, George says stuff like this all the time. The game's never going to love you as much as you love the game. There's always going to be something next. You know, George is always, uh, you know, focused on that transition, even what George is doing now with this podcast, the transition from life as an athlete to beyond. um, That You seem to understand that social currency matters a great deal and I think I just I'm, I this is kind of a curveball of a question, but I, I think it will be cool that you were at UCLA. You were a gymnast. You're a few years older than Caitlin Ohashi. And then you see all of a sudden you see a UCLA gymnast blow up go viral become a national sensation did you did you have an inkling that some of these things were possible if athletes were doing some of the legwork with the tools that were available to them that even a UCLA gymnast could become essentially a sports fans household name even when when you were there
4: yeah, i mean yeah i think i don't know if when i was there i necessarily thought about it i don't think i really started thinking about the value of social media in that way um at ucla i don't think it w- was really until you know while i was in law school or maybe you know even just kind of graduating and going in you know really now going into the baseball world but it's absolutely you know and i believe in it and and subscribe to it that what you can do with social media is so much more impactful in the long run than your whatever your immediate or current kind of career is Um, because and I tell like all my minor league guys this I tell you know I tell even my big league guys um, you know even someone like Yasiel Puig who I have who He's got, you know, he's close to like a million followers on even just Instagram and you know, I talked to him about social media and he's like I don't really care and he's so lucky to have that many followers and I'm like listen Oh my
0: god, dude, what? he missed out on, if he didn't embrace that. I mean, like I cuz I'm a huge Dodgers fan. So, I mean, I remember be the, the uh Puig your friend. Dude, do you know how much that was yeah. worth out here?
4: That Yeah, so he, I mean, he's he goes through, you know, ebbs and flows with that and buying into social media. But sometimes, And it's easy for an athlete or someone to just kind of at times just roll their eyes at it and, you know, blow it off and say it doesn't matter and I don't care about it when, you know, maybe things aren't going your way. But there is so much value in creating a brand because one day, like, you will make a set amount of money in your sport. Uh, for if you're a gymnast, if you're you know Caitlin Ohashi, like you're not going to make necessarily a even a career on your sport. However, you can take that small amount of time that you have as somebody you know notable in your sport. I tell my guys this: you don't. No one knows that, you know, what minor league baseball is actually like. They see you're a professional athlete and they see that blue check mark and people want to give stuff to you. People want to follow you. People, You know, you can literally be nobody and you could be someone who will never even make it past, you know, high A. But if you have that blue check mark, if you can say you're a professional athlete, like people will follow you. Build that brand now because when you never make it past high A, you're suddenly, you know, eventually you're going to retire. And But you have this huge following. You've got that blue check mark. And now, you know, let's say you wanted to be a broadcaster or whatever you want to do. You've already got this personality. It's so much easier to do things with it.
3: I think one of the coolest things discovering about you from from this interview is that you actually bought into using social media so all of these agents out there that see you as a disruptor or or see you doing something that they feel like maybe they can't do themselves and you come on this podcast and you're like i wasn't a believer in this i i I was uncomfortable with the idea of twitter Uh, i'm not somebody who consumes youtube but you're still able to see the importance in it um I, I i will tell you this you brought up yasiel puig would not have known, and I'm, I'm a baseball fan, and I'm not a Dodgers fan, so I, I'm kind of incentivized to know a little bit more about Puig as a Diamondbacks fan because I got to have more reasons to hate the guy, right? So, but I would not have known, and I, I don't know why I didn't know this, but I wouldn't have known about his background if it wasn't for you tweeting about it. I had no idea that the guy went through literal hell yes. just to be on this soil. Had he no Cut off his hands and, with and the magenta. Because of social media. Yeah, right. And because of social media, I, I know now.
4: Yeah, there's, but there's incredible stories that I think make people able to relate to athletes or, you know, empathize with them or, you know, what sympathize, whatever it is. And that's what allows people to have connections with athletes and become fans of them and follow them and root for them. You know, I think that's so important, especially in a day like in an era when with a lot of sports now we don't see We don't see these lifers with one franchise, you know, and they go their whole career. It's much more, it's much rarer now that that you have that. You've got, you know, I mean, you've got players like even in baseball with Trevor Bauer who wants to sign these short-term deals. Now he might sign a short-term deal like every year or two with the same organization, but he could go, he could bounce all over the place. But, you know, creating a fan of trevor bauer brings fans no matter where he goes like they're gonna follow him there's so many people that are lebron james fans and guess what they rooted for the heat at one point they rooted (laughs) for the Cavs at one point and now they root for the lakers and and why not because they just like all those different teams necessarily they're lebron james fans
3: yeah um i I was i want to shake any baseball player that like so archie bradley archie bradley while he was in arizona he used to tweet about the restaurants he would go to and i it drives me nuts that it's this ingratiate yourself to the community tell people where you're going what you like to do and just like celebrate the community and they'll be like i live there i'm from there this is great this guy like it too. I like this guy. And they five to forty players on every MLB roster. And that's a rarity. It's just it is extremely insane to me that there are all these tools available for people to ingratiate themselves with the community, make themselves more marketable. And you're just not, you're not seeing it. And to see you help people realize that they can do that. Like you're not on the highway that the men drove that they tried to keep you off of. You built your own road. And now they're gonna have to pull over, take that exit. If they wanna be relevant, five, 10 years from now, they're going to have a path that you blazed. And that's the funniest thing about all of this.
1: and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Vanta automates compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001 and more, saving you time and money. With Vanta, you can streamline security reviews by automating questionnaires and demonstrating your security posture with a customer-facing trust center. Over 7,000 global companies like Atlassian, Flow Health, and Quora use Vanta to build trust and prove security in real time. Listeners can claim a special offer of $1,000 off Vanta at vanta.com special. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash special for $1,000 off Vanta. terms and conditions apply
0: yeah Uh, um Rachel I want to look at uh the the arbitration process for just a minute because you talk about it on your YouTube channel and you're gonna have like there is one case in particular so if you were working on Shohei Otani's um on, on on his arbitration in a year from now Like how much would you be asking for? I mean, this is we're we're, cause we're seeing something that's completely unprecedented. So how would that process work being that he's a pitcher, but then he hits every damn day almost. So, and, and not only does he, does he hit, he's one of the league leaders in home runs. Like this is something that we've never seen. So how do you think that his arbitration will, will go or, you know, that, that whole process?
4: He, it's funny, because when I was at the MLBPA, it was when he was he, he had gotten, they posted him, and he was coming over to the U.S., and I remember sitting down with some of the lawyers and just being like, oh, my God, when this guy gets to arbitration, it's going to be the best case, because that's what, I mean, if you're a nerd like me and you geek out over arbitration, it's cases like this that are so fun, because they, you really get To try to be creative and find ways to make arguments of like, look, this is—he's in a whole, you know, market of his own. It's just you can't necessarily compare him to just one or the other. And arbitration is so much about you fit into these just like the the structure they call it of the market, and it's so just cookie cutter, black and white. There's no, um, like in general, MLB tries to keep it. So there's no gray area. It's like, these are the things, if you have it, you get this, if you don't, whatever. And so it's really fun when agents too, aren't afraid to take a player to hearing and, and players aren't afraid to, you know, try to fight for, you know, a certain salary, which it can be scary at times, but that's how you move such a stagnant market such as arbitration which essentially you know every player the the salary that they get in arbitration it's based off of looking back a couple years at someone who you know maybe came a year two years three years four years before them who was very comparable and what they got And how did they get their salary? By looking back a couple years before that. And it just, so that market never moves unless you get the guys who are these, you know kind of different level players that are willing to, rather than like Kershaw, who signs an extension early on and just misses out on arbitration, you've got the instead, you get a Mookie Betts who doesn't sign an extension, decides, nope, and I'm going to go to hearing and I'm going to push that market and, you know, get something that isn't that's unprecedented. And that's the fun part of it. So I think Shohei, obviously, he's going to be in a league of his own, you know, he's, but there's going to be plenty of counterpoints to, you know, Uh, like on from the team side, um, where, you know, look, he's, you know, he can play two different positions. It's on, you know, it's really unheard of today. But at the same time, you could argue like he's never really given us like the full value of either one as well. And so does that hurt him? You know, there's gonna be like, there's gonna be plenty of counters on his as well.
0: Yeah, um, I, I wanted to ask you about the state of kind of the players versus the union, or the the uh, players in union versus the owners, because it appears that we're headed for a work stoppage, which which I think would be devastating to baseball, particularly if it drags on out to the start of the season, because we remember what what happened ninety four. 90 95 that that whole deal and it tanked some of the ratings all like people just didn't feel good about it like do you think that that's ultimately going to happen and do you foresee a different structure with how with with how players are 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 paid because they're the really the only main league whose the MLB whose salary player salaries are not attached to the revenue that's that that's brought in.
4: The right, but they're also baseball's the only league that will not show their books either. Uh, you know, the owners won't show their books, so we don't know, and they don't want to show their books. It's not that you know, there's a reason
0: asked, like,
4: why <laughs> exactly. So, uh, there, I don't think it. I don't think either party has much incentive to necessarily, you know, attach salary to revenue um, because it's also like baseball. I mean, the player side, I think most are smart enough to see that there are ways, pretty easy ways to manipulate your, you know, revenue. um, So that it looks like you're maybe not making as much when, you know, maybe you also own, you know, they can own the parking structures and, you know, maybe the town, the streets where all the bars are, those owners own that. And so for game days, they're making all that revenue that's coming in, but they won't count that as actual, you know, baseball revenue, even though they wouldn't have it without the team. So I don't think either side is too uh, like into that idea necessarily, but you never know. Um, I think it, the the relationship right now between the two parties is is not great, but that's more so the MLB or that's more so MLB and the MLBPA. Yeah. Um, and I think the leaders in, with in both of those organizations need to figure out a way how to have a better relationship because there's no reason that. You know, two parties that need to work together all the time, because that's how we have baseball (laughs) that they can't sit down at a table and work something out They're constantly they're constantly trying to Get the win and the other side gets the loss always and like that's not how you have a good working relationship like they need to see that they both have kind of the same objectives in many ways.
3: One thing about people who, uh, who break shit for the sake of progress (laughs) is uh, sometimes they can't stop. And I hear you talking about uh, the league and I've heard you on other podcasts talk about ways to make baseball more fun and things like that. At what point, at what point do you feel like, it, it's enough like when you have their attention because you're continually critiquing the way the game is run the way that things have traditionally been done versus the way that they could be which would benefit everybody involved trying to convince them you have the same exact concerns as they do which is to okay.
4: yeah uh, did we lose
3: him oh did i did i did i, did I disappear? yes here just to some to sum up, my question is like what what's that point for you where you feel like you have to pull back or, or or jump in, you know to criticize um baseball and and the way that it's run for the greater good?
4: Um you know, I think I think I do it a fair amount and I did it a fair amount, especially during like quarantine negotiations. um I also think you know my client Trevor Bauer does it a fair amount and you know, can often be, you know, he has a, like, target on his back because of it. But, you know, I think someone has to do it because if there's one thing I've learned with baseball, it's that, and this goes for basically anything in the sport, if somebody doesn't just shed light on it in public, like, in public or on social media, then, baseball will sweep it under the rug and just to the point of like their downfall because they never, I think in the history of the entire sport have ever wanted, they don't like controversy. They don't like dealing with that. Um, So they avoid it and they, you know, turn a blind eye until their hand is literally forced. You see it with every cheating scandal, every, you know, anything. You have to have someone, you know, you have to have a Mike fires come out and just say, to the media, like where I'm not even gonna go to MLB because by the way, they players did go to MLB. MLB didn't do anything. Then they go to the media and the media is like, hey, this is happening and now fans are mad and now MLB has to do something. They do this with everything. So until, you know, until people kind of push back and players and people in the industry push back on MLB in social media to the point where the public now is putting pressure on MLB, like, MLB will keep operating the way they do.
0: So why do you? Th- so do you think that that's the reason why the league was so soft on the players when it came to the Astros? B- because yes, they yes they punished the general manager. They fired the the, the manager, but then when it came to the players. And that whole situation with Altuve, whether he was wearing a wearable, so many I've talked to players privately and they're like, bro, this is super sketch. And but they don't want to be the ones to come out and say it. And because MLB just gave them a, a basically a free pass.
4: So that free pass was actually negotiated by M- the MLBPA um, because, and this was a this was a touchy subject for a lot of players too, because they were like, "Look, MLBPA, you represent all of us. That yep. includes everyone on the Astros, but that in- but that includes all 29 other teams as well." And but in that moment, they had ML- the MLBPA had to, on behalf of the- those players, the Astros that they represent, they had to, you know, be advocates for them and negotiate, you know, some agreement with MLB in order for MLB to conduct an investigation and require that the players, you know, participate in in that investigation so they've got to go through the MLBPA, who is going to make sure that they try to protect all the rights of the Astros because those are the players that they you know represent and they did that by you know getting them immunity that was the way that they got the Astro that they got the players to speak candidly about what happened was you guys have immunity now that worked out great for the Astros and you could say, you know, the MLBPA did a great job there at protecting them. However, you also now had twenty-nine other teams and I heard it from plenty of players on these other teams who looked at it and were like, you know, that cost me millions. That cost me my career. I don't play an MLB any I don't play an MLB anymore because of it. And you protected them, but what about me? And that's so you know it's tough when you represent everyone but the same thing happened with steroids you know finally the players as a whole said enough of steroids we want to have testing and now that that mlb is you know they have some of the most strict testing you know of any sports league um but that was because and, and that means that there are times where mlb players get popped and, you know, and the MLBPA have you know, represent in any sort of appeals and whatnot, but it was the players as a whole that said, we want this out of the game. So it's tricky.
0: See with steroids though. I, 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 okay. So I'm a big, my, my favorite baseball players of all time are Ken Griffey Jr. A-Rod and Barry Bonds. Well, Barry is number one. And because things weren't illegal in the game,
4: wait, you're a Dodger fan?
0: Yes, but but I was a huge like. He, <laughs> okay, go go ahead. He tell is. A, you, the, the, all right, all right. The the Dodgers just won a World Series, so
3: no, I've it, always it, been. A I Dodger mean, fan. Whoever, whoever, a fan. whoever No, I, and you're always a fan of whoever <laughs> the number one bowler in the world is right now. George probably has.
4: <laughs> that's that's fine. That's like Trevor, their
3: Trevor? T-shirt and shoes. He,
4: Trevor's a fan of he's like he likes like he loves Alabama football he oh, loves ew. the Patriots and he's got, And I'm like, why? You're just you just like anyone who it has this dynasty. And he was like, yeah, he goes, I'm a I'm a fan of greatness. And these are franchises that are great. And he goes, I love to see greatness. And I'm like, all right. Whatever. Listen,
0: listen, I can't help. I live in L.A. Dodgers, Lakers. I, know, I, I, I live a charmed sports sports life. Um, unlike unlike Ralph, who chose up bad, he chose like the Phoenix Suns, the uh, the uh, Diamondbacks, and you know, and and <sighs> Wy- Wyoming Cowboys. So you know, you know. That's not gonna it.
3: argue. I'm not gonna argue. I'm not. I'm not gonna argue with you. I, I'm, I appreciate all the success you've had in your life. I appreciate all the success <laughs> Rachel's having. Everybody can win. Except for my so, teams.
0: So, so what I was going to ask you, Rachel, is about MLB and steroids, because you brought it up is I I just believe that the game benefited from so many people who were on performance enhancing substances. And then they turn around and turn their back on them into like people who helped grow, grow the game, recover the game after the strike and you don't know everybody who used and but but then you put Bud Selick in you got i mean Jeff Bagwell Piazza all, all people who were uh Selick presided over the whole thing and he's in but then you don't let people like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in and i absolutely hate it with the power of a thousand suns
4: i've got i've got a shirt i rock all the time that says Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer on it i t- I fully believe he is. I think that was who are we years later to look back and say that, you know, be the judge of who was using and who wasn't when there there weren't any there wasn't any testing in place. Now, I believe if once there was testing that was put into place, and at that point, anybody to test positive after you're you're out i mean you you don't have a choice but up until then i think everyone i think the greats of that era or and of the sport in general during even during that time they should be allowed in and now that's a part of mlb's history you know you can talk about that in cooperstown about how during this era this was so prevalent but I struggle with this idea of like trying to now we look back and we get to decide when you're right. Like they, I mean, I have, we, I have another shirt and this is all from Trevor's media company momentum, but that says steroids saved baseball. And yep. it, I think it did. It, it saved baseball, you know, after the strike. Um, I think you gotta, you can't, you can't punish these guys now. And, you know, I think you could look at it and say, you know, look the commissioner has flat out said, and they've made it clear, they are not, they don't care about the the foreign substance thing. Like they're not going to enforce it, right? Yeah. But now you see this slowly in the last like you know couple months, they're making this shift of, well, maybe we actually enforce it. What if we got to a point where they strictly enforce the foreign substance thing, and now what do you do with this entire generation of pitchers because do is it the same as peds we go back and say well they definitely used a foreign substance because in that case basically like 95 percent of pitchers from this generation they don't get allowed into the hall of fame yep. they, i mean everyone's saying sticky stuff so it, it's it's a part of the story of baseball and I think you know you can't uh, until there are strict regulations put in place, and then people, you know, get violating those you know rules that are in place, you you can't, you can't sit there and you know, like hold hold these guys accountable for stuff that is not enforced and is you know prevalent throughout the game.
3: I just try to imagine uh, NBA fans tolerating the NBA Hall of Fame or the Naismith Hall of Fame, not allowing Michael Jordan, Shaq, and Larry Bird. That's the baseball equivalent of, of what's happening when you have guys like Pete Rose and Barry Bonds and, and Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire on the outside looking in. It, and I, I can't imagine any other sport and the fans of that sport allowing that to happen. And it's crazy to me that there's that much of a power structure in baseball where, or or where that fragmented as fan bases where we say that, like, yeah, no, it's cool to get because I'm not a Giants fan.
4: Yeah, it's, it's bad. Uh, but I think you've got the, just, the, the, there's, like, the, that purest old school kind of mentality in the sport that is so, and they're all about, like, the purity of the sport, when in reality I think everyone just needs to embrace, like, the sport so far from your, it's been like that since the beginning.
0: Yes. Make baseball fun. Dude, I wanted to give Trevor Bauer a a hug and a kiss in the mouth two weeks ago when when he came out and said, stop hitting people. It's weak. I was like, thank God somebody said it like these stupid unwritten rules, which are antiquated and all of that. But um, but before we let you out of out of here, Rachel, I have one more question and Ralph can go. But um, okay, so you have been a trailblazer in the agent field, so has uh, in the NFL, Nicole Lynn, you know, so many so many other people. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, all right, what's what's next for Rachel Luba? and how long before we see a a coach? in the MLB I'm so well uh, a manager well I, it was see, it, it seems further in the MLB but a um, uh, a coach in football or a as as a head coach or general manager who is a female
2: it's
4: tough because I think we still have a long ways to go and I say this because I think a lot of a lot of it starts just at you know I'm I'm not for just putting a female into a position simply for the sake of having a token female. Like I almost got a job at an agency went, like for which I realized was largely because they just viewed me as a token female, not because they saw the value I offered. So, you know, in order to actually have women who are like qualified and plenty of women who are qualified enough for these positions, it starts at, you know, kind of that grassroots level of letting young girls, see at you know a young age that hey if you are interested in sports like these are all the different jobs you can have there are plenty of young girls who love sports and they're like i could be a broadcaster because they see a bunch of women doing that that's the one thing they really see is you can be a broadcast sideline porter whatever yeah. you know it's gonna take i think women who are now in the in the industry you know, speaking up and and building platforms for themselves and encouraging young girls that there's so many opportunities that they can do and they are welcome in the industry. But I think it's gonna be a while because I still think there aren't enough women that are, are, you know, girls that are, you know, over like there that are qualified enough that can compete for these positions because most just have been you know like completely dissuaded from doing anything and and now there are still some for sure but like it's competitive it's competitive for guys so i think it's going to start at a grassroots level but hopefully you know in the next you know 10 years like we'll start seeing that like nor and it'll be normal
3: I'm definitely, I'm thankful for your presence and you, and you putting yourself out there the way that you do. And then, you know, you have people like Bianca Smith with the Red Sox and even, even uh, Hannah Huseman, right. With, with the Philadelphia Phillies, who is like a mental health coach and the stuff that she does and that some baseball players kind of spread around, you know, I've, I've got, I've got three sons and a daughter and I I, I don't, I think the close. I ever saw any women being involved in the game was, you know, there's no crying in baseball. It was a Tom Hanks movie. It wasn't actually affiliated with, with uh, major league baseball at all. Um, Locally, we had a woman named Jody Jackson who covered the, um, the, Diamondbacks and still does this day, but I'm so one, one woman associated with a uh, baseball as I grew up as a fan. And I know that if, if my kids uh, are somehow turned on to the game of baseball, which seems like it'll be difficult in the day and age of everything is, you know, a uh, six second attention span. If if they ever find a way to latch onto baseball and connect, I know their experience is going to be a lot different than me because there's people like you out there, Sandy Charles with MLB Network there's there's all people all over the place they're just going to see it through a completely different lens and that's going to be incredibly important to all of them and the experience they have down the line
4: yeah absolutely i mean there was a little girl on twitter who took a picture or she tweeted at me and asked if I had advice on she for career day, she wanted to be a uh, dress up as a sports agent. She's like, what should I wear? I'm like, that's so cool. Oh, you know, when I was, I don't know if she's like 10, 11, I, I don't know if I, you know if i wanted to be a sports agent like if the thought of that's what you could do i wouldn't know who to look to i didn't know who to look to when you know when i was at ucla who am I? Who, who's that other girl that i could point to and it's like oh yeah she's an agent she's doing it so i think it's really cool
0: uh i i know i told you it was the last last one but here's the, here's my actual last last one so my so my wife went to ucla right and she's a boss in her field and in industry and and was in the commercial real estate world for so long, which is another male-dominated industry, and she was absolutely crushing it. And some of the pushback that she would get from some of the men that she was beating up was, "Oh, she's just getting this because she's pretty, because she's, you know, or she's sleeping with the guys, and all, all all of this stuff," which which wasn't true, and we know it's not not true in your case. But like, do you even feel a need to? address that like to 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 combat it or do you feel like listen I'm just not even ignoring I'm ignoring all stupidity
4: um I go back and forth on it and I sometimes I do address it sometimes I call out guys who you know say things to me someone said to me the other day that um you know let's be real you probably don't know much about the game at all it's just that you're hot so guys are cool with you being Oh, whoops, it cut out, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, but anyways, so there are I get comments like that all the time and every now and then I do highlight them and point out like yeah, you know, like how absurd it sounds and the fact that I, you know, am overly qualified, the fact that there's um the you know the requirement uh to be a baseball agent is you have to graduate high school. Um, and, and, you know, I went to law school. Like that is, I went above and beyond. There are plenty that I graduated high school, but I think it is important. And and oftentimes I do want to, you know, like kind of respond to some of these dumb, dumb comments that I get, but I've also gotten to a point where I look at it and you know, I kind of just laugh often. Sometimes I like screenshot stuff too and just like put it in a little folder on my phone and save it. And and every now and then I'll put something out there of like how silly these people sound. Um, But I I look at it as, you know, you guys are just, you know, you're hating on me because you clearly can't fathom this idea that women can be successful um, just purely based on what they can do. And so I kind of just try to like smile at it and keep having success because there's, you know, there's nothing that makes people like those people more furious than seeing someone just continue to have success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And right, Rachel, you, you're, you're going to have to admit though, at some point in time that, that a penis makes you much smarter. So So,
4: yeah, Yeah. I mean, it must be the case.
0: Yeah, Um, uh, Rachel, you guys, she's Rachel Luba, absolute renaissance woman, sports agent, young Forbes, uh, 30 under 30, absolutely killing the the, uh, game. I can't wait for all the amazing things that you continue to do. Thanks for coming on right or wrong. Uh, Thanks so much.
2: Yep, thanks for having me. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards
2: have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field, Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: So, Ralph, uh, so that was the interview with Rachel. What were your biggest takeaways?
3: It's it's always interesting to get somebody in the room who a lot of people have a preconceived or, or earned notion about in, in their mind. I'm sure that anybody who has an opinion on anything feels like it, they have it for a reason. Um, but my, my experience leading up to this is anytime that I see Rachel Luba's name on anything that, that isn't directly related to work that she's doing or work she puts out is just people being mad online. Yeah. Like that's the to be very honest, that's most of what I see. I'm gonna send you a tweet right now, George. Uh, that that is kind of a microcosm of the type of stuff that she gets in her mentions every day. Okay, you let me know what you think of that when you when okay. you get it.
0: Okay, I got it. Here's the tweet: Rachel, go fuck yourself. You are bad for women in sports. How? How? How how is a woman in sports bad and doing dope stuff bad for women in sports? It makes zero sense.
3: I have no idea,
0: dude. I, 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 I would like be I told her at the end of the proud. interview. I would be proud if my daughter went to do the stuff that that Rachel Luba's is doing. Like what? What I is can, there to, it's, she's a lawyer representing MLB players? Doing dope stuff. She's on Forbes 30 under 30. What is there to hate? Because she's a disruptor. I, I'm telling you, dude, it's the It's people hate the fact that. So, so I think in the industry, she gets hate because she's a disruptor to their traditional financial system. Right. Which is, which I always thought was kind of criminal. Like, why am I paying my agent for negotiating a contract Four years ago. And so that's why you have had players like um, like Bobby Wagner. Mark players, Jackson? Yeah. N- negotiate their own deals and just say, I'm just going to pay a lawyer to write this contract up. We are already negotiating all the terms ourselves. So I think that that's where some of the hate in the industry comes from. But the hate out in the world, I think it is very difficult some sometimes for men when it comes to sports because they're like no no no, we know we know sports we own sports we are we are men and the idea that somebody might actually know sports more than you do is is, uh, that that's hard for people dude I'm telling you
3: I just don't I'm gonna be honest man I just I don't get it I always thought it was pe- – I always thought growing up it was more peculiar that we had an absence of women in professional sports than I did that women started to come into that space. Like I grew up my, – my, my mom went around. She passed away, but everybody always told me she played baseball. She played softball when baseball stopped being allowed, she ran track. She was going to go to college to, to play hoops. She like star of the, the volleyball team. And in my head, I'm like, okay, well, this is the 1980s. You have a woman just like all these women all over the United States. They're all having the same exact experience that the the, the men are playing sports in high school. Some of them even go on to do it in college. Why does it continue for men but not necessarily continue for the women who who love it like that was always 10 times more peculiar to me that we had an absence uh that that it just fell off in the same way that you're like hey how come all these coaches are white. That's weird. All the players are not white. Yeah. <laughs> so like all those type of things have always struck me as more odd than, than the idea that somebody's trying to force change. People get scared of change. People get scared of encroachment, um, which I think is crazy because you have to have it in your head. You have to have it in your head that the best people haven't always been involved, whether it's in the negotiating room as an agent or as a general manager or shit, even as a third base coach coach or whatever, when you cut the hiring pool down to like 10% of the available people, and you're going to try to pound your set chest and say, we've actually done it right forever.
0: It's a meritocracy. How is no, that not? No, it's, yeah, dude, you, you are 100% right, because there's no way to quote unquote, get the best people when, when you're not even interviewing part of the people. And... The idea, though, that <laughs> right. and, 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 and you brought up and I wanted to bring this point up about the WNBA is that where where people say, oh, the WNBA, they don't do as much money that secondhand sports and all of that stuff. But WNBA ratings are up. Their money is growing. The their revenues are growing. Attendance is growing. All of these sorts of things. And you got to remember, like the league is like 20 some years old like 20 years old. Like the the NBA, the, like people don't realize that in 19 that uh, it wasn't until like 1980 or after that or somewhere around there that NBA games started being shown live. Like championships. They were tape delayed. Like it it was not the behemoth that it has grown into. That's why players were making WNBA money Back then, because it wasn't the cash cow that it is now with TV and media rights. So in 25 more years, if the WNBA is still at the same place that it is, then you can say that. But as for now, dude, it's a baby league. It's a baby league. The, look at Look at the MLS, which is probably a comparable example, right? This is men playing professional sports. Nobody wanted to watch the MLS. You could not pay people to watch it. And now, all of a sudden, oh, people get interested in their cities and in their leagues. Same thing if you create... Atlanta? A- yeah. <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia,
3: is a damn soccer town. Yep. It's a soccer town. Like, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, home of the Atlanta Falcons, you won't see a single Falcons insignia when... It's soccer season there. You won't like the, the, the 70,000 people when you're allowed, 70,000 people show up to watch that soccer team play in Atlanta, Georgia. A lot of all it takes Atlanta. is experience. Yeah, I know. I know. And, 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 and Atlanta is, I would put Atlanta as a soccer town almost above anything else based on what I've experienced the few summers that I've been there. I was just down there this past weekend. They had billboards all over the city, George. That was a 24 hour countdown clock to the first home game of the season. Soccer in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. If
0: that
3: can happen, the WNBA can absent. It just has to be available.
0: Yep, it, exactly. And the it th- this is no different than the Pac-12. The Pac-12 suffers from an availability problem. So did the WNBA. The more available that they become and the more that their stars become stars. Out in the and have social currency, then people will watch. I mean, shit, we watch Jake Paul and Logan Paul watch pl- box because they're famous. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're selling pay-per-view buys because they're famous separate from their actual job. So, uh so to wrap all of this up though, if you wh- told but George, if
3: you told somebody 15 years ago that the number one consuming habit in 15 years would be watching other people play video games, oh not playing video games, watching other people play video games. Yes. What
0: would you say? There's not a chance in hell that that that's stupid, that's ignorant. It'll never take. And now you have people who show up, uh, millions of people, millions watch streams of League of Legends championships or uh, Fortnite championships. Like, people watch it. My kids watch it. I occasionally tune in, too. I'm not, not going to act like I don't. But I don't watch it at the same level that they do. But, you, like, you just have to be available to change and to the change that can potentially happen. Uh, so to wrap this all up, where do you think we see Rachel Luba five years from now, 10 years from now?
3: That was the reason I asked her the question I did about people who break shit. Cause some people who break shit just need to keep breaking shit. Yep. And there's some broken stuff up at the top of baseball. And so, I mean, Five years ago, there was no, you know, she talked about her journey and the the thing of people just now knowing, like, learning her name now and being like, well, you just blew up because Trevor Bauer, you know, got a contract that any agent could negotiate. Like, she went to law school.
0: <laughs> Anybody who and went to law school is not an overnight success. Dude, and she right. negotiated. She won tw- a record 12 arbitration cases. Like that's that. Right. Like she didn't just win some arbitrations and was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go be a lawyer." She won the most that had ever been won in a year, and then came out and was like, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna go be an agent." And and, and people are saying, "Oh, yeah, oh, it's uh, it, it's only because she's hot." Yeah, all right, all right. She will, she will, she will <laughs> whip you with that hot brain. You will, you will be on the losing end of a negotiation messing around with her.
3: And that's what I'm saying. So, so, you're asking me where I think she'll be by 33 years old based on the trajectory of stuff that she's already done that and her sense. mindset going in, <laughs> and the fact, oh my God, mate, who knows, man. He, he, here's, here's my main point is that sh- after this conversation with her, the one thing that I learned that I didn't know before is the reluctancy that came with. Um, with where she's gotten. Um, and the truth of the matter is she's doing what needs to be done in order to be relevant, in order to make the change in the people who are in her current circle of influence. If that circle of influence expands, you know, she's the type of person who might look at a situation and see this certain thing is not something that I want to get into or be a part of but it's for the greater good and those are the people that you need the people who are willing to embrace change that might not necessarily suit them the people who aren't necessarily just lobbyists for their own self-interest but lobbyists for everybody's self-interest that they're willing to eat food that they don't think tastes good because they know it's nutritious right like yep. and and i think it, that Mindset can take you a really long way in this world. And now that she knows more people and has more um, has more connections and has this track record of success that's publicly available, plus she has the ability to enhance her own legend and her own brand um, in a much better way than any other agent that I've ever because the only other thing that any other agent ever did was make sure that they're in that camera shot on draft day. Yep. Right. Unless you're Lee Lee Steinberg and you got Jerry Maguire made. Other than that, like the self-promotion amongst the agents has always depended on traditional forms of media. She's doing it herself. Yeah. Five years from now, she could be anything.
0: So how long how many clients do you like how big of an agent do you think that she'll be in five, five years from now?
3: If she still wants to be an agent and she's not bored of it, she could have. I mean, w- we could be talking about her f- in five years. We could be mentioning her name with the same gra- gravitas. Well, there's still a little bit of disdain for this guy when you mention his Boris. name. But there's also a level of respect. And that's Scott Boris. Exactly. Right. Scott Boris.
0: You owe exactly. me baby. Five, five years at this pace. you coming with me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah so i dude i am actually i'm getting me a luba sports shirt as we as soon as we get off of here because i i'm a supporter man i, I support people who come, come on the podcast and also people that that i like so um you, you guys though this I see george is, george reister's mug on the lubinati twitter account that's great dude absolutely absolutely w- why not Um, dude, I don't think that there, I think that there is a, um, a lot of times people don't want to support other people who are doing dope, dope shit. And I tell my son this all all the time. Who's 15. If you look at his Instagram, he's always bigging up his teammates, bigging up his friends. And that's from what I showed him that LeBron does LeBron, when other people in the league, they do dope, dope stuff. He's one of the first people to comment about it. And that gave other people license to comment on it and like not be like, oh, I got to hold this all to myself. No, I can recognize your greatness and still be great myself. Um, You guys, this is Reister or Wrong. I am George Reister. He is Ralph Amsden. Thank you guys for joining us. Peace out. Catch you guys on Friday.
2: The hottest games, right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com.
1: High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions supply. See website for details at High HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino.
3: You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for
0: beer like this one.
3: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field,